What's up, guys? Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks for downloading this week's podcast. If you haven't yet, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And I'll give you a free Heartland College Sports koozie if you do it. Just email me, Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at HeartlandCollegeSports.com, a screenshot of your rating and your review. I will get the koozie in the mail for you. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy the show. Busy Hoops Week, as always, for the Big 12 Conference. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. And let's welcome in the guy who's been following Big 12 Hoops as much and as well as anybody out there. And I don't say that um, in any type of sarcastic way, tongue-in-cheek. I mean, he is on top of everything going on in this conference. He's Matthew Postens. You read him all the time on the website. Matthew, always good to have you on. Uh, You were down in Waco over the weekend for the uh, Baylor-Alabama game. But before we get to maybe the uh, intricacies of this past weekend, talk to me about the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Do you like the idea in general? I do like the idea in general, and there's a couple of reasons why. Um, and Bob Bowlesby actually pointed one of them out during media days in October. Uh, most of the other power conferences have gone to a 20-game conference schedule. And the Big 12, of course, can't play any more than 18 conference games because there's only 10 teams, and you can only play each team twice. So there's a bit of a competitive imbalance there when it comes to comparing, say, Baylor to Alabama when it comes to tournament time. So one of the ways that uh, the Big 12 has chosen to fill that gap is by continuing the Big 12 SEC Challenge for six more years. And then, of course, they've entered into a contract with the Big East Conference. So the Big 12 is kind of looking at those two challenges as their two pseudo-additional conference games because it's going to get each of their teams an opportunity to square off against another team from a big conference, uh, potentially helping their RPI and potentially helping their uh, ability to get into the NCAA tournament. And the other reason I like it is because you just get some really cool matchups that you wouldn't get otherwise. I mean, um, I don't know that any of these Big 12 teams and vice versa, these SEC teams, SEC teams would think to play one another if they just had to do it on their own every year. Uh, by kind of forcing them together in, the, in late January, it gives each team a break from SEC play, and it gives you an opportunity to really measure yourself against a team that you hope is you know similar to you obviously you know the West Virginia game nobody expected them to be that bad this year and they got drilled by Tennessee but most of the other games in this uh rota this year were against teams that were pretty evenly matched and we got some really good games out of it Mm -hmm. so you know my only thought here Matthew has been to put this thing in December or something like that I don't know I just something about having it in the middle of conference play still throws me off but you're saying because of the 20 conference game thing that gets discussed in other power five conferences this kind of makes the most sense I guess yeah I think so I don't know that you could do it uh, I don't know that you could do Big East and SEC at the same time in December because uh, you have all the other tournaments that are going on as well. True. So, uh, plus you've got the uh, the week around exams, which a lot of Big 12s take, Big 12 teams take off. So it, it's a really compressed schedule. So I kind of I like the idea of that break in the middle of conference play, uh, just because it kind of it kind of cleanses the palate a little bit. And as a as a team, it doesn't hurt you. From a conference competition standpoint, it might hurt you when it comes to the NCAA tournament down the road. But in terms of remaining a contender in the Big 12 or a contender in the SEC, winning or losing that game really doesn't hurt you that much. 
All right, Matthew Poston's our guest. You read him all the time. Uh, Big 12 Hoops guru here, heartlandcollegesports.com. So you were down in Waco, and we were texting over the weekend. You saw Baylor beat Alabama, and you said, uh, Pete, I don't know if I'm giving this Baylor basketball team enough credit. Uh, why did you say that? Well, it's it's different when you see them play in person than when you see them play on TV. And you really get the sense of what Scott Drew has had to do in the wake of Tristan Clark's injury. This is basically a five-guard team now, five-guard starting lineup. Uh, their tallest player is Mario Kegler. He's six foot seven, And yet they out-rebounded Alabama on Saturday, and they're the first team to out-rebound Alabama all year, which is pretty incredible because Alabama definitely had a height advantage in this game. Their starting lineup is really starting to gel. Kegler, of course, missed most of last year. He's really come on. Uh, Mark Vidal, their 6'5 guard, is really their best rebounder throughout the season. Makai Mason, the Yale transfer, whom uh, didn't really, who really wasn't able to start the season because he kind of had a minor injury to start the year, his game has really started to come around. They've got a really dangerous starting five, and now their bench is starting to give them some play during the game. Devontae Bandu is a sixth man this week. Uh, it was as much because of the four points he scored against Alabama that helped ice that game as it was for the 13 points he scored off the bench against West Virginia. You've got Freddie Gillespie and Flo Thamba coming off the bench. They're basically Baylor's height now, and they're able to give them quality minutes uh, inside the, the paint. And then you've got Matthew Mayer, uh, the freshman they kind of stole from the Austin area, who really runs the floor a lot better than I expected a six eight six nine guy to do, and he's got a pretty good three-point shot. So Scott Drew's gone from the from having a team that I thought was really kind of dead in the water two weeks ago after Tristan Clark got hurt to one that actually can play nine deep, play capably, and compete against, I think, the, the upper echelon teams in this conference. Not that I necessarily think Baylor is going to win it, but when I went into uh, Jerry Palm's uh, CBS Bracketology on Monday morning, lo and behold, Baylor went from a, a first four team out to a team that was actually safely in the tournament. So that win over Alabama and their 2-0 week made a big difference. That's a huge deal. So, Matthew, let's talk about the uh, uh, game of the night, at least the top 10 matchup between Kansas and Kentucky. You know, KU had itself a solid first half. They got drilled in the second half. They lost the game. They lost the rebounding margin by 12. I, th there's not a lot of teams that are going to be able to expose Kansas necessarily in conference play like what Kentucky did uh, with its size down low. Do you attribute this all back to the loss of uh, Azubuke's or something else you're looking at here? Uh, that's part of it. I mean, they're going to be rebounding challenged. I mean, Diedrich Lawson had a fantastic week. He was part of my starting five uh, for that week for a reason. He had double-doubles both week. I mean, both games, he, he was just fantastic. But he can only grab so many rebounds in a game. And right now, they really don't have anybody else that can – can clean the glass at his ability level, or for that matter, as a Beakway's ability level. So they're going to be operating at somewhat of a rebounding deficit for the rest of this season. Now, they've been able to combat that by the rise of guys like Marcus Garrett, who's become more of their slasher to the basket, while Gerald Dick continues to shoot at a high level. Uh, Marcus Grimes had a good game against uh, Kentucky, but you know some of those things went to the wayside. Garrett only scored four points against Kentucky. Uh, Vic went a long stretch in the second half without even attempting a field goal. So uh, for right now, with Kansas, and they were kind of at this point last year when they had a short bench and they were really flowing through uh, Devontae Graham and their other players, is there's not a lot of margin for error for them right now. If everything's firing the way it should, 
you know, Kansas should win most of the time. If something's out of whack, and obviously with Garrett not having a good game, with Vic not having a good game, uh, some, some things were out of whack on Saturday, uh, they're going to have games like that. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, this is a Kansas team that they are somewhat vulnerable, but you know how Bill Self is. He, he manages to find a way to keep his team in every ball game. And they were even kind of in that game against Kentucky kind of late. Uh, they just weren't able to, to get over the hump and get back in the lead. But uh, that, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, this, that game doesn't hurt you. Maybe it hurts Kansas's RPI. Maybe it hurts them a seed or two come tournament time, but it doesn't hurt them in the Big 12 race. And really that's what matters because if you can win the Big 12 tournament, and you're in the tournament automatically. Yeah, Matthew Poston's joining us. Read him on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Uh, biggest disappointment, Matthew, for me, I think it was uh, pretty obviously Kansas State, and it was weird. I was watching that game, and early in the first half or midway through the first half, I forget who was calling the game, but you know the color guy said, it just doesn't feel like it's K-State's day. They feel like they're kind of out of sorts. If Billy Kennedy can keep his team in it till halftime, you know, they got a real shot of pulling off this upset and winning this game. And that's exactly what happened. A&M was down, I think it was like three or four points at the half. And then they, you know, took care of business in the second half. What was the most disappointing uh, Big 12 performance of the weekend for you? Well, I think that was certainly uh, certainly up there. I, you know, I kind of looked at that uh, middle stretch of the Big 12 SEC challenge. And, you know, even with Texas scoring 88 points, I was kind of disappointed in the fact that they gave up 98 Georgia, you know, Georgia's a good team, but they're not, you know, they're not at a level where they should be scoring 98 points on the University of Texas. And we kind of talked a little bit last week about Shaka Smart being on the, on the hot seat and all of that. But when you score 88 points in a Power Five basketball game, you should probably win that game. And the fact that they gave up 98 points to Georgia, that to me is extremely concerning because, you know. If you're not able to play defense against a mid-range SEC team and you're going on the road to go play or you, you get Kansas at home uh, the following week, you know, I think Shaka Smart's got some things to sort through from a defensive standpoint. To me, that was the most disappointing thing to see a team like Texas play so well uh, offensively and so poorly defensively. Matthew, you know, as we look ahead here to kind of what's left, we're not quite halfway through conference play, but obviously we're kind of approaching that halfway mark. As as we start to see the tiers, I guess, break down in the Big 12, you know, you mentioned Baylor maybe creeping its way towards the top or into the upper echelon of the Big 12 conference. What's going to be the, the – if you were to pick one storyline here as we enter February for the Big 12 in basketball, what would it be? Well, I think that when we get to this point in the Big 12, it always comes down to, you know, that elimination basketball. And we've got some great elimination games or potential elimination games coming up in the next month. You know, Texas Tech has to play Kansas twice. Kansas State and Kansas still have to play twice. Baylor still has to go to Lawrence to face the Jayhawks. Um, you know, Iowa State has, you know, has a split with uh, Kansas at this point. Uh, but they've still got to play Texas Tech again, and I think they've got to play Kansas State twice. So, you know, this this conference is such a a great conference from the standpoint of, you know, anybody can beat anybody. You know, look at West Virginia beating Kansas a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that, you know, when you get to this point, it's almost kind of like elimination basketball. Right now, Kansas and Kansas State have an upper hand because going into this week, uh, they were the two best teams in the conference. But Iowa State and Texas Tech were right behind them, and there are plenty of opportunities for either teams like Kansas and Kansas State to, to gain some separation 
or for teams like Iowa State and Texas Tech to make it a much closer race. And then you got Baylor just kind of lurking there in the middle going into a week uh, where they've got Oklahoma and, uh, and then a long uh, wait for their weekend game. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting stretch, and they're going to be there. The great thing about the schedule this year is there are a lot of meaningful games in February that are going to determine, determine who wins this conference. Matthew Post, and you read him on heartlandcollegesports.com. Does great work for us. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for a few minutes, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. Awesome insight, Matthew Postens. He's the best on Big 12 hoops. I'm telling you, there is no one better. Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks, guys, for listening. Please do rate, review, subscribe. I'll send you the koozie. Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. A screenshot of the rating and the review. We'll get the koozie in the mail. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.